Yeah, my mic's not on. We, we're just, I don't know. I mean, we're so used to being able to, uh, like, hey, cut. All right, let's do that again. Um, but now we, we can't. So uh, welcome to life. Yeah, screw-ups, normal, how it is, um, you know, back to all the goodness. It is so, so, so good. I cannot describe how, I mean, it felt like last night was a mix of the, my first Sunday ever at Christian Chapel and the Sunday before Easter and the Sunday before my birthday or the Saturday before my birthday. Just anything you could be excited for the night before the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Uh, any, any like big event that has happened recently, that's how I felt. It's so good to see you. I know not everyone is, is able or comfortable being back, so if you're watching online, we are thrilled that you're still with us. And speaking of that, I want to say thank you to a couple people who have just worked their tails off the last eight or nine weeks or so. Logan, can you throw that up for me? Just in case you don't know who they are, they're always kind of in the background. But Dean Heidi, Andrew Squantz, and Brian Hunley have put in so many hours. Uh, those guys and, and a team that works with them, have, have we've been streaming and recording for years, but in, in mid-March where this became uh, something we were going to be doing it for a while, they really jumped all in. If you're, if you're here this morning, you see new equipment around the room, so we're experimenting with some different ways to uh, maintain that online church experience for those who are unable to be with us in person. So if, if you're online, hopefully you're still enjoying that as well. But we really do appreciate that. And then I also see Caleb Hill over here. Caleb's been doing the same thing for chapel youth, making sure those services are up and going. And uh, we are, are incredibly thankful for all those guys. I've sat in on a couple of their conversations as they talk about the things we need to do and the equipment and all that. And uh, I'm, I'm glad they're here because I don't really understand anything that they say, but I know it looks good at the end. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really, really nice. I'm, I'm thrilled. I know many of you are thrilled to be back. There are some aspects of the last eight or nine weeks that I am just not going to miss at all. You know, I am, I'm not going to miss um, sitting in my living room with my family, watching myself preach. In fact, if that never happens again in my life, I'm totally fine with it. I'm not going to miss, like some of you know my daughter, Audrey. She is so sweet and kind. For the last couple of weeks, though, she sits right next to me on the couch and makes fun of my hand gestures the whole time. <laughs> Like she does, she just, I'm like, hey, are you paying attention? Yes, I'm paying attention, Dad. This is what, so if I just stand here like this, it's Audrey's fault. She made me insecure. Uh, you know, it's just, it might be, might be what happens. So, but there are some aspects I will miss. Like I, I, when my alarm went off at five o'clock this morning, I missed online church. You know, it, it was just, it was very convenient. When I had to take a shower and get dressed, I missed online church. Like, uh, and I know some of you, which by the way, thank you. Thank you for not coming this morning like you've been to church the last eight weeks. So uh, we, some of you, we would have asked you to wear a mask just for your breath. Uh, but but you, you probably brushed your teeth. Some of you showered. Um, you know, and, and we're glad to see all of you today. We're going to keep going with our, our series called Graves to Gardens. Now, we're several weeks into this, and, and yet in some ways it feels like week one because it's the first time we all get to be together. And so we started on Easter Sunday by just talking about how, hey, if Jesus can turn his grave into a garden, then he can transform the lowest and, and most miserable experiences of our life into something good and great and wonderful. And hey, just so you know, it's family worship. If babies cry, 
We are good. That is fine. If your kids holler, that's okay. That's more response than I get from most of you each Sunday anyways. So uh, somebody will help keep me engaged and going. But, I mean, you all adults, you know how this works. So if they laugh, I'll just keep going down those rabbit trails. So it's up to you and your kids. Um, Speaking of, I don't know how we got there, but back to Graves and Gardens, which is what we're talking about today. We're talking about how Jesus is with us, and when, when life goes from bad to worse, he is still there and he is still working. And no matter how long the slide, no matter how long it lasts, he never gives up, he never stops, he never quits working on our behalf. Now, bad to worse is a very familiar experience for all of us, right? Even if, if 10 weeks ago you said, uh, my life has been blessed, I've never had a low moment, a hard moment in my entire life, you have to admit the last eight or nine weeks you've had some bad to worse kind of moments. You know, so if I could take you all the way back in history to March 14th, 2020, and not that long ago, but feels like a lifetime ago. On March 14th in Tulsa, they came out uh, with a directive that said there shouldn't be gatherings of more than 250 people. Now, that was on a Saturday. We had church on Sunday, so we started working of, hey, what's that look like? How's it work? Because, you know, in each service, we kind of bump right up against that number normally. And so March 15th, we came, and we thought, great, we handled it. It's okay. We can make new plans if we, if we need to. By the time I got home from lunch on March 15th, that number was down to 50. No more groups of 50, and it's like, oh, okay. And so then I'm starting to think, well, what are we going to do? And, and I think by that evening or Monday morning, it was down to 10. And I was like, oh, well, this is different. And at some point in that week, it became, y'all should just stay home, right? And, and that was just that experience. And then for many of us, over the last eight or nine weeks, it has been kind of this, this experience of just one thing is canceled, another thing is taken away, this bad news, that bad news. And it just kind of feels like it keeps spiraling. And not just in the sense of like your vacation got canceled or this, but like for, for our seniors this year, meaningful moments in their life got canceled, right? For, for our, our parents of seniors, meaningful things got canceled. For some of us who lost loved ones, we weren't able to mourn and celebrate their lives together at funerals. Weddings were postponed. And then there's, there's even more serious long-term effects of people lost jobs and the economy tanked and people got sick. And, and it, it kind of had this experience of just when I think it can't get any worse, it does. Right? And, and in our culture, we're used to this. And in fact, we even have some, some common language that we use to describe these bad to worse moments. Right? We say, when it rains, it pours. Right? If it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Right? We, we all just know them, and they, they roll off of our tongue. And what I want us to understand, though, is we are not the first people to experience bad to worse situations and circumstances. One of the, the challenges we face when we're going through seasons like this and that we have all faced the last eight weeks or so is you get into some of these moments and you can think that the bad thing that currently is happening to me is the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And so when we, when we live without historical awareness, we always think the newest thing is the best thing and we think the current problem is the worst problem. And it can lead us into these moments where we almost become paralyzed and start to think, it, the news just keeps getting worse. There's nothing to do. There's no way forward. Now, again, if, if we can kind of back up, have a little historical precedent, understand what's happened before, then it can help us endure and get through these seasons we're in. So I know for some of us, it's not possible to go have a conversation with our, our grandparent, our great-grandparent, our, our great-great-grandparent. But if we could, I think they would help calm us down right now. 
You know, if, if you're going to your, your great-great-grandparents who lived through World War I and telling them, I can't, but the world is on fire. The, the virus is out of control. I don't know what we're going to do. They would be able to say, hey, hey, no, no, no. We've been through worse. Right? Your, your grandparents maybe who lived through the Great Depression, or some of you, that was your parents, and if you were talking to them about, hey, the, the stock market lost 20%, they're like, that's cute. Uh, you know, and, and they can tell you a whole other stories. And for some of us, maybe it's our, it's our grandparents who fought in World War II, and you're telling them, I've, I've never seen the world in upheaval. And they're like, oh, let me tell you a story. Right? If, if we just kind of back up a little bit, and then beyond that, if those family members are believers, they're also going to be telling us it was much worse than it is now, and God was faithful, and God was with us. Right? And, and it just kind of starts to calm us down a little bit. Or, or maybe we're on that other side of, hey, I mean, we, you know, we haven't been able to meet together for eight weeks, for ten weeks. Some churches still aren't able to meet around the nation. And, and there's kind of this, this uproar of like, we're being persecuted. Again, a little historical precedent, a little historical awareness goes a long ways. Because if we could back up in church history and talk to other believers who've spilled their blood, who've given their lives, who've been in prison, who've lost businesses, families, relationships, homes, all sorts of things, we would quickly understand eight weeks of online church is not the persecuted church. Right? Like there's, there's just a much bigger thing going on here. So one of the, the gifts of the scripture, it is, is, it's a continual shot of historical precedence for us of what happens when things go from bad to worse. What does God do? How does God act? And how do we react in light of those truths? And so today we're going to look at Acts chapter 27 and 28. Uh, so it's the story of the Apostle Paul. Acts is written by a man named Luke, and Luke is actually on this journey with Paul in Acts 27 and 28. So, so kind of some, some quick background for you. Paul has been uh, taken prisoner. He's been arrested in Jerusalem. He has appealed to Caesar. And so they are shipping him from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And so this is a, a long journey by sea that he's about to go on. He's a prisoner the entire time. But apparently some of his friends are allowed to kind of travel with him and take care of him. And that's why Luke is there with him. So they're traveling on their way to Rome. And they, they kind of make some poor time or leave it a bad time of year. They arrive at an island it, right as the winter season is, is about to start. Now, Paul is a veteran of these long uh, trips by sea, and so he tells the captain of the guard, the, the soldier in charge of him, hey, it's not a good time for us to be out on the water. We would be better to stay here and catch a boat when, when things are better. But the captain doesn't listen. He finds another ship that's getting ready to leave, and he throws everybody on. They have a, a good day or so, and then, uh, then a storm kicks up. And not just a little, like, kind of Oklahoma thunderstorm that's here for 30 minutes or an hour or so and then kind of dissipates, but a 14-day a hurricane-force storm where they are being pounded by the wind, pounded by the waves, where these seasoned sailors are fearing for their life. Now, at some point in this process, God speaks to Paul and tells him, your life and the life of everyone on board with you is going to be spared. So Paul shares this news with the captain of the guard. They share it with the captain of the ship, and they begin to, to make preparations. But Paul also tells them, our lives are going to be saved, but this boat is going to be trashed. It's going to be shipwrecked. And so they, they kind of make for land, and they, they run aground on a, a sandbar off what they later determine is the island of Malta. As the ship lodges on the sandbar, it says that the surf is just pounding against it, beating it so hard that it breaks the ship apart. 
And so the captain says, if you can swim, swim to shore. If you can't swim, grab some of the wreckage and float in. Now, now I know many of you, you've been to the ocean. You've enjoyed kind of riding the waves and body surfing and doing that sort of thing. That is not what is happening here, right? They're in the middle of a 14-day storm. They're terrified. They're tired. They're exhausted. Paul has assurance from the Lord that they're going to live, but not everyone with them is a believer. And then some of them, it's like, okay, I can swim, here I go. But that is a pounding swim. Others of them can't swim, so they've just got to wait for the right piece of wreckage to go by and hope they latch onto it and get it. But they, they all finally do. They make it ashore. Now, their 14 days have been a bad to worse experience. Right? Every single day they wake up with hopes, maybe today it will end. And every day it just gets worse. Every day the storm keeps raging. And then they finally see land. And their ship is completely trashed and torn apart. They make it to ground, and it seems like things are finally going to get a little bit better for them. And and listen to how Luke then describes it. So Acts chapter 28, we'll look at verse 1 through 3. It says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And so, so on top of it all, they finally, they're in the winter weather, they're in the winter water, they finally get on shore, and it's still raining, it's still cold, it's still miserable. But things are looking up, because the islanders meet them, they're kind, they're helpful, they build a fire, and Paul isn't lazy. I mean, one of the defining characteristics is he's an industrious person. And so we see him now, he does what he always does. Okay, there's a problem, I'm going to help. So he goes, and he grabs a pile of brush, and he throws it on the fire. Things are getting better. And then says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. I mean, come on, right? Like of all the things. Now, uh, Pastor Amy told me since the kids were in, I needed to have object lessons. So um, Paul gets bit by a snake, right? A viper. Now, we're we're not that church. Calm down. Oh, I should rephrase. We're not the church that has poisonous snakes. I don't see his head. Okay. So this is a ball python, accurately named. His name is Bumble, and um, that's his tail. There are snake people. I'm not one of them. Where are our snake people, by the way? Any of you? Yeah, some of you? Not very many. Okay, who's extremely uncomfortable right now besides me? Yeah, somebody in first service said your hand was shaking. Like, my whole body was shaking, okay? Just relax. So um, I actually borrowed uh, Bumble from Greg and Amelia Height. They, they were very kind. I texted them this week and said, hey, um, can I borrow a snake for an object lesson? She said, sure, we have 23. Which one would you like? Uh, uh, the sweet one that won't bite is the one I want. So, so Paul, here we go. Paul gets bit by the viper, right? Now, again, come on, Bumble. There we go. Um, so if you were wondering, I read up on uh, ball python bites last night, and... <laughs> 
uh, they're harmless. They don't do a thing at all to you. And then Amelia told me this morning, she said, he's just starting to shed, so as long as your hands don't smell like rat, uh, you're fine. Which made me think, what does rat smell like? Does it smell like dial soap and hand sanitizer? Because if so, I'm in trouble. Right, but so, so Paul is on the island of Malta, and he, he's, things are starting to get just a little bit better. And then he throws it on, and it says the snake, it's not a strike. It says the snake fastens itself on his hand. And this is what that would, no, <laughs> that's ridiculous. But you know what that would have looked like, right? It would have looked like that head clamped on, and he's just kind of, there had to, if it fastened, there's at least a moment where Paul looks at it and it's like, oh, this just got worse, right? And I think all of us can agree, no matter how bad your day has been, if it ends with a snake bite, it just got worse. It's just not good. Now, I'm going to take, oh, yeah, nope. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, nope. Uh-uh. So here we go. Um, I'm going to take Bumble and put him in there. Thank you for not biting me. And I'm going to give him to Amelia because I know some of you are not going to be comfortable or concentrate for as long as he is here. Thank you, Amelia, very much. But listen, so, so Paul's there. Bad to worse. Like this is now the worst part of his trip. And it has not been a fun one from the very beginning. It starts out with him as a prisoner. It continues with God speaking to him and everyone ignoring him. It continues through a 14-day storm. Then there's a shipwreck. Then there's a swim to shore. Then there's a brief moment where things start to look a little bit better. And then the viper reaches out and latches on to his hand, which makes us ask the question, how do I react when things go from bad to worse? If you're in Paul's situation, how do you react? Now, now you might like to think, you know what, I, in that moment, I would be full of faith and I would start to, like Pastor Cream quoted some psalms to us when we started, I'd probably do, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise will always. Now, that, if that's you, good for you, you should probably go start a church somewhere because you're so holy and everyone wants to be like you. But for the rest of us, when the snake latches on, we go straight to, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? God, I have followed you. I've served you. I've been shipwrecked. And this is not even the first time I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I've been beaten. I've been in prison. You told me I'm going to get to Rome. I survived another shipwreck. I get on shore. I'm finally starting to warm up. And now this. And it's just hanging there. Now we might like to think, no, 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 no. I am a mature Christian. I do not lose my mind. I do not fly off the handle. And if that's what you think, I would submit to you your reactions over the last eight or nine weeks. In 100% honesty, who has lost their mind at some point during all of the quarantine stuff? Okay, so some of you are still dishonest, or you're the introverts from earlier and you don't want to raise your hand, that's fine. Uh, how many of you, you have had a friend or family member who has lost their mind? Over the, okay, yeah. Yeah, now some of you we know because you've posted it and we've all read about it. So, um, you know, both sides, so don't get smug, don't get concerned. It's, it's fine. We've all had those moments where it's just like, seriously, if one more thing, and then what happens? One more thing. Like for me, my moment was a couple weeks ago when I read an article that said uh, they were having discussions about what to do in Oklahoma if school didn't start in the fall. Like, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to move. I'm going to move to somewhere where they have school. Because come fall, those three are going to school. 
I don't care what it takes, right? And, and they're, they're all now completely on board. I heard my kids say words I never thought I would heard them say about three weeks into this. I miss school. And I mean, man, I have my breakdown moment. Like, I do too, buddy. I want you to go back. I need you to go back, right? Like, we've all had our moments over these last weeks of just meltdown in, in one version or another. And maybe, maybe you've been really mature and you've held it together and you only kept it to yourself. Maybe you only vented to a wife, to a spouse, to a friend. Maybe you only to a small group. Or, or maybe you just kind of lost it. You know, and Angie, she was kind of trying to help talk me through that moment of it'll be fine. I'm like, it, it won't be fine. If there's no school in the fall, it will not be fine. No one will be fine. Do you know, like, our kids need smart people to help them, hon. You're brilliant. I play with snakes for cheap laughs. Like, what hope do they have? They got no hope at all. We've got to do something. We've all had these moments. And as much as we want to say, I will not lose my mind when things go from bad to worse, when they go from bad to worse, we lose our minds. Again and again and again, we do. And so this is where then, you know, the, before Paul kind of reacts, Luke tells us a, another little aspect of the story. He says the islanders who were gathered, they saw all of this happen. And they decided in their mind, this man must be a murderer because he has escaped the sea, but justice will not let him live. So sent the snake, kill him, now it's fine. So when, when our lives are going from bad to worse, this is the other concern that some of us have. What do people think right now? What are they thinking? Is they, I mean, literally, like, you, you know, if, if you're cursed enough, some people even say you're snake bit, right? Like it's just that nothing good happens for them. Stay away from them. We start to worry about, like, well, man, what are my friends going to think? If I, if I lost the job and then I got sick and then the relationship problems happened, what are they going to, everybody's going to think that I'm a walking disaster, that God has somehow abandoned me. And there is cause for evaluation in those moments of, are my choices leading me down a path of destruction? But sometimes what we figure out is, I'm, I'm being faithful, I'm following Jesus, I'm like Paul, I'm just, I'm where he wants me to be, and yet it keeps going from bad to worse. And in, in that situation, when you've done the evaluation and you've determined, hey, God is still leading, he's still guiding, but life is still bad, what do I do? In that moment, you follow the example of Paul, and just listen to how shortly Luke puts it. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and suffered no ill effects. Now, so there's, there's two things that happen here. Paul gets bit, it fastens on, right? So there's at least a moment where a snake is dangling from his hand, and he just shakes it off. Now, first, that's a natural reaction. Every single one of us, if we're snake bit, are going to shake it off, right? Not a single one of us is going to just look at him and be like, who would you look at there? <laughs> snake, hanging on my arm. Like, you're just, you're not do it. Uh, somebody asked me this morning, what would you have done if that snake bit you? I'm like, I don't know, probably traumatized a bunch of kids, uh, you know, because my reaction would not have been kind and God-honoring. It would have been, you know, master it, uh, take care of it, get it out of here. Like the farmer of my grandpa would have come through me if only good snake's a dead snake. And it would have been bad is the point. And this is our, our natural reaction. So we all would have to shake it off. But I, I think there's a kind of a, a secondary thought there for us to consider. It says, Paul shakes it off and suffers no ill effects. Now, before shake it off became like a, a Taylor Swift thing, it was a phrase that parents for generations have said to their kids. 
How many of you have either told a child or been told yourself, shake it off? Anybody? Yeah, sure. Shake it off. Uh, other versions of that might be you're good, you're fine, uh, dry it up. That was one of my dad's favorite, uh, you know, if we were crying, dry it up, you're fine. Uh, but shake it off is just this, this term that we give all the time. I mean, I've said it to my kids all the time. It's one of the most common things I yell when I watch them play sports. My, my oldest, a couple years ago, he was in maybe his third year of kid pitch. And if you've ever watched kid pitch, you know, when they get to that, like, 11, 12 years old, it's the age where kids, some of those kids are starting to throw hard because puberty's come early for some of them. And so there's like the 12-year-old with the mustache who's out there just firing it in. But he's not accurate, okay? And, but he can throw hard. And, and so Connor, I remember watching him once, and, and he, Connor, played for this coach that I loved. I'd never met him before he played for him, but I think we're related somehow because he would, he would give the boys this speech several times a year. Boys, it's baseball, and it's 12-year-olds throwing at you. You are going to get hit. But when you get hit by a pitch, you don't cry, you don't grimace, you don't yell. Don't give that pitcher the satisfaction of knowing it hurt you. You sprint to first base. I just thought, I, every dime we paid in registration is now worth it. Like, I, I just, yes, 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 yes. Um, so, uh, Connor got hit several times that year, and, and I just love, like, hey, I'm just supporting the coach. Shake it off! You're fine! It doesn't hurt! Corbin, uh, uh, my other son, he was playing basketball earlier this year, and we played in a tournament that was up a grade. And so Corbin's in sixth grade. We were playing against some eighth graders. They know I had a kid that was like 6'4", 250. Just a mountain of a kid. At one point, he comes flying down the court in front of me. I'm coaching. He goes that way, and I can see Corbin setting up to take a charge. And this kid is just flying. And he goes down, and all of a sudden, I can't see Corbin at all for about half a second. And then I see him, and he's flying in the air across, and he lands. And both with Connor and with Corbin, the first words out of my mouth, shake it off. You're fine. Get up. Now, Connor comes home that night and takes off his shirt, and we see, like, the, the baseball bruise complete with seams from the ball in his shoulder. You know, Corbin, for like two weeks later, saying, Dad, it hurts to sit down. I'm like, you're fine. Even though that kid was bigger than me, you're fine, right? So, so here's the thing. I understand when I say, hey, when life gets bad, shake it off. That can feel offensive. Like, it was easy for my dad to yell at me, shake it off. It's easy for me to yell it to my kids. But when you're the one experiencing the pain, the hurt, the anguish, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, financial, and someone from the side is saying, hey, don't worry about it, just shake it off. You'll be fine. Right? You, I mean, there's all kinds of reactions. You don't know what you're talking about. You haven't been where I've been. I'll show you fine. Uh, just depending on your personality, how you're going to respond to it. But Paul in that moment, snake bit, shipwrecked, prisoner, shakes it off. Feels no ill effect. Now, Luke doesn't go into detail about exactly what Paul would have done after that. But Paul writes 13 books of the New Testament. So we have a pretty good idea of how he thinks and, and how he responds when life get, gets difficult. I firmly believe that Paul in that moment is the same one who writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, you are to pray without ceasing. He's the same one who tells us repeatedly, if you're sick, pray for healing. The Spirit sends gifts of healing. So I got to think in that moment, as soon as it registers in his mind, that's a snake on my hand, 
that simultaneously he is physically shaking it off and spiritually he is turning to the Lord of, God, will you heal me? Will you protect me? Will you preserve me? I know your promises. I know what you've said. Lord, will you set me free in this moment? Maybe Paul's mind actually goes back to Mark chapter 16 where Jesus says, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Paul doesn't shake it off just because he's braver or tougher than you or I. He shakes it off because he knows God is with me, God is for me. God has promised me I'm going to arrive in Rome. And if the shipwreck didn't get me, and the swim to shore didn't get me, this snake is not going to finish. And maybe even in that moment, it goes back to, not only is Jesus here with me now, but he actually made a promise for this exact situation. Right? They will pick up snakes in their hands. Anybody ever watch the, uh, the Snake Handling Church documentaries? No? Just me? Yeah, a few. Okay, a few of us. Uh, so I, I showed my kids one of those last night right before they went to bed. <laughs> you know, good parent. Uh, and and it's, uh, it's fascinating to see. And so I, I was kind of talking with them about, you know, Bumble, the, the ball python and, and this passage. And, and one of them, so we're watching it. If you've never seen those, I mean, there's tambourines and there's loud music and there's rattlesnakes. Lots of rattlesnakes and cotton mouths and, and only poisonous snakes. And, and, and when the spirit moves, they pull them out and they start to dance around with them. They let them crawl around. They start to pray. And, and one of my kids said, Dad, you're not going to do that tomorrow, are you? <laughs> now, I think they were actually more worried that I would dance and play a tambourine in public than that I might get bit by a snake. Uh, but, but we had the talk of like, no, 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 don't worry. Like, it's a ball python. We talked about what this actually means. Like, it doesn't mean that we pick up snakes just to see if we have enough faith. But it means what Paul experienced of, hey, if you ever get in a situation where you are literally snake bit, Jesus has actually spoken about that. And he says he'll save, he'll heal, he'll deliver. Now, what I want you to pay attention to in Mark 16 is this whole statement from Jesus is that when life goes from bad to worse, he will be there and he will work there. And so, so these signs will accompany. In my name, they will drive out demons. When people are possessed by demons, that is a bad situation, Right? In, in my name, they will speak in new tongues. So uh, again, moving through that one, not quite as much. Next one, they will pick up snakes in their hands. When you're snake bit, it's a bad situation. When they drink deadly poison, again, not that you're going out just to see, will it affect me or not? But if someone is attacking you, hurt, trying to harm you, kill you, just saying you will be fine. They'll place their hands on sick people when people are sick, when they're hurting, when they're injured, when they're dying. These are bad to worse situations. And what Jesus says is, in bad to worse situations, I will work in powerful and miraculous ways to confirm the power of the gospel and my presence in those moments. And this is what happens for Paul. He shakes it off. He suffers absolutely no ill effects from it at all. And in verse 6, Luke tells us the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. All right now, this is a pretty dramatic turnaround for Paul. I've never had people think I was a murderer, but I've also never had anyone think I was a god. Like, no, and I, I would be pretty confident none of you have ever been mistaken for a god either, right? 
But Paul in this moment is. Like, they see him. Well, this guy survived a shipwreck. He's now survived a bite from a snake that kills everyone that it bites. So clearly, there's something supernatural about him. Now, in their understanding, they don't have the ability yet to connect those dots. And Luke doesn't go into a lot of detail in Acts 28. But in Acts 14, Paul finds himself in another situation where God works with signs and wonders through Paul. The people respond of, he must be a God. They try to worship him. They try to offer sacrifices to him. And Paul tells them, brothers, no. I am a man just like you, sent by God to tell you about Jesus Christ. And what we see with Paul's life over and over and over again is that God always turns graves into gardens. We've said it so many times, for our good and for his glory. When God works in us and for us, it's also so that he can then do the same things through us. So as you keep reading in Acts 28, you see Paul then begins a a, a short little healing ministry for the time that he's on the island. And he begins to heal, and all the sick are coming to them, and he's praying for them, and they're recovering. Again, Mark 16 is is being fulfilled in their face. And we know from Paul's own experience that every time he shares with someone and they're healed, he's also telling them about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And, And so it just begins to point us towards this idea that when life goes from bad to worse for you, God will save, God will heal, God will deliver. But when it comes, you can shake it off, and you can point other people to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you deny your reality. That doesn't mean that you have to say sickness isn't bad or death isn't sad. It doesn't mean you have to pretend like these things don't bother you at all. But to shake it off means I might react to this situation, but I'm not going to overreact to the situation. I can acknowledge this is painful, this is unfortunate, this is not where I want to be, but I'm also going to shake it off and maintain a big picture view of God that he is working, he is working right now to get me from where I am to where he wants me to be. This has not surprised him, it's not taken him off guard, he is ready, willing, and able. When life goes from bad to worse for us, we can shake it off and tell others about Jesus. So I don't know what your situation might be this morning. I don't know where you are on that journey. Maybe you're very early on if you don't even have the relationship with Jesus yet. And if so, today is the day that you can take that first step of, man, I want to surrender to my life to someone who is bigger, stronger, and more powerful than I am. Maybe you're in the middle of what feels like the downward slide. It's going from bad to worse to worse. And and today, you just need the assurance that God is with you and God is for you. Or maybe you've come out on the other side of that. He is saved, he is delivered, he is healed. And now you need the power of the Spirit to flow through you so you can use that platform to tell about the goodness and the grace and the glory of God. To invite others into the same experience that you've had. So no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, God sees us exactly where we are today. And he is working out all things for good for those who love him and those who've been called according to his purpose. And that is you, that's me, that's everyone who says yes to Jesus. So wherever our our situation is this morning, that's our response. Lord, we believe you are here. We believe in your presence and we believe in your promises. And we believe you're gonna take us from where we are to where you want us to be. If you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for you. And then the band's gonna lead us in in kind of just a last song of celebration that, that declares God's ability to do these things. Jesus, we come to you today. We're so thankful, Lord, for the the chance that we get to gather together. 
to sing songs that declare the truth of who you are, to submit our lives to the authority of Scripture and the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that these are not just stories that describe the way things were, but they're the reality that describes the way our life is right now. And so, Lord, I pray for those who, who their lives are just difficult and hard. They're in that downward spiral from bad to worse. Today, may they hear the strong voice of your spirit saying, you see them, you know them, you have a plan for them. Lord, may we surrender to you. May we not give in to overreactions. May we not give in to self-pity. May we not abandon our faith in the moment that we need it the most. Lord, we are here today to declare our need for you and our reliance on you. So Holy Spirit, will you come in these moments and will you lift our eyes up past our problems and onto you and your power? Lord, this week, as we begin to read the scriptures, will the the promises that you see us, that you're with us, that you lead us, that you guide us, will those move from the pages of scripture and into the depths of our spirit? May we hear them as your words to us. You've never left us. You've never forgotten about us. You've never turned away for us. You are with us in the mess. Jesus, as you save and heal and deliver, May our testimony, our stories of your involvement point others towards your involvement in their lives as well. What you have done in us and for us, God, we ask for the privilege that you will now do through us, that we would be men and women, teenagers and children who share the good news that no matter where we are or what we're going through, Jesus is there and Jesus is working. Lord, we thank you that we get to be people of good news people constantly declaring your ability and your desire to turn every grave into a garden. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Some of you might be familiar with the song. We've been singing it online, uh, which if you're like me, means you've been watching people sing it online. Uh, So today we wanna give you a chance to sing it with us. The lyrics are so powerful. It's just a declaration that what Jesus did on that first Easter Sunday, he is still doing in every one of our lives. He's the God who can turn every grave into a garden. So let's sing it as a celebration. Let's sing it as a declaration of faith. Last well, the world but it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise Treasures that fade Are never enough Then you came along And you put me back together And every desire Is now sad here in your love Oh, there's nothing better than you There's nothing better than you Lord, there's nothing Nothing is better than you Said, I 
my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley, and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't
go today, our, our hope does not rest in who we are. Our hope doesn't rest in hearing an inspirational story, but our hope rests in the fact that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us, bringing life to our mortal bodies. So if he can do what he did on Easter Sunday, he can handle anything you're facing today. So as you go, may you go with a heart full of faith, with a heart that is at peace and at rest, that no matter what may come, you can shake it off and you can move forward by his power, by his spirit that is at work in you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. It has been phenomenally great to see each and every one of you. May you go in his grace, may you go in his peace. And may you please go outside to visit so our cleaning team can take care of the sanctuary real quick. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.